Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF Podcast. It's Friday, October 22nd. Last week, we released the second episode of The BOF Show, a new immersive video series now streaming on Bloomberg Quick Take. In episode two, I explore the shifting mindsets and behaviors of luxury customers amid the pandemic. For 16 years, Angelica Chung was editor-in-chief of Vogue China. Now she's a venture partner at Sequoia Capital China, and today we're delighted to release the full cut of my interview with Angelica from episode two to get her insights on what it's going to take to lure the Chinese back to the city of light. To watch the full episode, please find the link in our episode notes. Now, here's the full interview with Angelica Chung, exclusively on the BOF podcast. Hi, Angelica. Hi, Imran. Good to see you again. I know. We've managed to keep in touch quite a lot over the last 12 months, but only virtually because you've been in China the whole time. Well, yes, you know, it's unbelievable. What, a year and a half almost uh, in China, and uh, think about all these gatherings we used to have, huh? too much, <laughs> probably. But now it's good to see you on camera. Mm. Yeah, exactly. How has the last year or so been for you, Angelica, you know, personally and professionally? 
Well, I, I think that it turned out to be quite important. You know, when you were in the middle of it, in the beginning, you were thinking, oh, what is happening? And now, what, 18 months, 16 months after, you just thought probably there was uh, quite a lot of, you know, positive elements to this uh, unfortunate period, you know. I guess one thing is that uh, because we stopped traveling, we had a lot of time to think. And we probably see, we were seeing things more clearly. And uh, for me, a biggest change was after a lot of soul searching and thinking, and I decided to change my career, to move on to something uh, different. And I, I think probably that was the biggest change uh, for me last year. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a super significant change because you went from being editor-in-chief of Vogue China to being a venture capital partner. You know, just, just so we understand exactly, what is your role now at Sequoia? What, you know, what is your responsibility? What are you overseeing? And kind of why do you think they look to you to take on this role? Well, uh, what I'm doing is, I guess, like uh, any investor, you know, and a venture partner in uh, major investment funds, uh, the role is uh, obviously looking for projects to, with an eye to invest in. Uh, that's a very simple description of it. You know, specifically about me, Sequoia China wants to expand and develop more investment projects in sort of this area, quality. Uh, lifestyle area. So that includes what fashion, beauty, lifestyle, crossover with entertainment, some creative industry as well, you know, in probably uh, marketing, promotion, social media, digital platforms. So it's sort of broadly speaking this area. And then you look for new ideas or, or, or businesses that have a uh, a very creative approach to developing business. So mm, why me? Uh, I guess because in China, you know, the, the sort of luxury fashion, quality of lifestyle industry only started to gradually take off uh, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, when I started to launch Vogue uh, China here. And uh, you just look at it, it has only been 15 years, you know, uh, since sort of fashion in a modern sense entered China. So I guess for this area to have someone who really understand the industry, uh, knowing how things developed in the past 15 years, and also have a keen insight into how the industry works, and also understanding of consumer behavior, also understanding where brands come from, you know, creativity comes from, and that link with the commercial side of it. You mentioned earlier that the last, you know, 16, 18 months have been a period of soul searching. And I, I'm curious to understand, you know, for someone who's been embedded in the fashion industry for so long, what are the things that you reflected on about our industry? Because, you know, as you mentioned now, you and I would meet all over the world before because we were traveling like crazy all the time. And, you know, with a period to just sit down and reflect and, and you know, not be running around constantly. I mean, how, how has it changed your perspective or your feelings about the fashion industry? Well, I guess like everybody else, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, when, you know, the whole world were worried about what to come, 
I guess, well, like everybody else, you thought fashion was not at the forefront of your thought, unless you were one member of the fashion industry when you were worried about business, you know, your living and everything else. But it wasn't the, the, the first thing that uh, on your mind when you woke up in the morning uh, because you were worried about the, the pandemic, the figures, you know, what's happening, things were getting better, getting worse and all that. So uh, that sort of, you know, made a lot of people, I'm sure, not just myself, uh, rethink about the meaning of our industry. But luckily I was in China. I think that, you know, the situation got quickly contained and then you started to see a whole load of new creativity coming out of this challenge brought along by this pandemic. You know, for example, I started to see brands and some businesses which really were suffering at the beginning and started to have a new boost of life, you know, when they explored, say, live streaming, for example. Uh, That was totally born out of this pandemic because of this confinement, you know, people were all at home. So everywhere else, I think people just were worried, yes, and then they started really not going to work and not doing awful lot. Whereas in China, you saw those entrepreneurial spirit really shine through when they thought, okay, now we, we can't go out, customers can't come here, you know, business going down, what can I do? They actively started to think what they could do. And, and they thought, you know, I have a phone, at least I try to do something. So that's how it started. You know, it started to, to live stream the shop, what we had, trying to connect with their customers on the phone. And, and then next thing you knew, it became like an industry. It became like the new big thing. And then a lot of personalities started uh, to, to be known, uh, become known uh, uh, through this. And the whole different categories of products you started to, to know, to learn from only before through this live streaming in China. And I, I thought, you know, there were different opinions about uh, live streaming being a method of promotion and, uh, and uh, selling goods. That is one discussion. But what I saw from that was really entrepreneurial spirit and hardworking uh, people out there who really didn't want to give up and wanted uh, to go on with their life, go on with their business, and somehow coming out of it actually stronger. A lot of businesses were like that. So I was inspired by that and not to give up, but to find a, a positive spot uh, when things were not doing very well. And the second thing I, I saw was that I started to see some really new, good new ideas coming out of it. Uh, I guess people had a bit of more time to think about it. And also, in some way, even the uh, people couldn't go out to work and to, to do other things. They started to shop online more. There was more opportunity for some small ideas uh, to be introduced to the consumers quickly because through this live streaming, through the fact that people didn't have a lot of other things to do, so they were more open to new uh, creations. So I could see some new brands, new creativity uh, starting to emerge. And I thought they were really interesting. So that was the soul searching, which led to me thinking, you know, I wanted to be part of that, that new energy, that energy that continued to, to, to have new ideas 
uh, and also uh, the, uh, the entrepreneurial spirit that would uh, really drive yourself to achieve that dream and whatever you wanted to do. Um, so soul-searching thinking started to look for the positive elements in life so that I could feel energized myself and be passionate again about life in general. You mentioned just now all of the innovation and creativity you saw in terms of like what brands in China were doing, but I'm really curious about you know, how the customer engaged with the big luxury brands, or rather how the big luxury brands engage with the customer. Because, of course, a lot of the Chinese customers' engagement with luxury brands used to happen when they travel. And so when all of these customers are no longer traveling, they're not traveling to Europe, they're not traveling to Australia, they're not traveling to North America, how did the customers connect with the brands, because when you look at the results of what these brands managed to do in China, it seems that whatever they did worked exceptionally well. Well, that goes back to what I was uh, saying just now. The, the, those live streaming, for example, was a great uh, channel for consumers to connect with uh, luxury brands. It was really, I think, that that uh, spirit where they, they told you know themselves that I had to do something. At the beginning, I still remember Louis Vuitton was uh, one of the first luxury brands to do live streaming. And they, they, I think they did it at a very small, uh, confined space and uh, with some celebrities. And uh, there were talks so it was to say that, oh, you know, it didn't look very high end, uh, not polished enough. And now, you know, in retrospect, as very soon people actually started to realize what was happening and they started to to feel, uh, you know, they respected uh, what they were trying to do. It wasn't perfect, you know. Gradually, people would do it better, you know, to be more um, uh, of the kind of the image, uh, fitting for the image of uh, a luxury brand, you know. They, they would have nicer studios, nicer places, and, you know, more elaborate decorations and set up, and more polished, what do you call it, broadcaster to do it. But that was the beginning because in people in our industry in China remember that live streaming uh, of Louis Vuitton at the time. And then uh, gradually everybody started to come, come in because at the beginning there was this big, big debate within our industry about whether luxury brands should participate in this live streaming at all, because it first started from very uh, approachable products, you know, sort of everyday uh, needs. They started to live stream. Then obviously luxury brands started to notice it. And there was one voice which said that, no, I, I don't think uh, it would make luxury brands too easily approachable. And uh, there's not that distance anymore, you know, needed for people to dream about acquiring a piece of that uh, one day. But then there's another school of thought who said that, oh, you know, this is what's available. We should use all the tools available to pass on our messages. So, and then the discussion turned into, okay, live streaming as a channel is good. It's about how we use that channel. So that was, I think, the right discussion, the second stage, where everyone started to think that, yes, we do live streaming, but how we do, which is fitting to Chanel, to Dior, you know, to, to Toss, to everybody. They started to think that way. And then they realized that not necessarily we have to use that channel to sell goods. You know, we can use that channel as a communication uh, platform. So that sort of evolved within quite a short space of time. 
And uh, that's how these consumers started to realize, okay, even without going to Paris, going to Milan, we can still have that connection. And actually, they see a lot more. At some point, Angelica, you know, China will open its borders and people will be able to travel again. What behaviors of this Chinese luxury customer are going to stick? And, you know, what do you think will change? How will these customers, which are now so critical to our industry and, you know, the growth of the industry, how will that change when this is all over? I think that What's changed about Chinese consumers is that they they are so much online now, so digital, so much into e-commerce, you know, getting everything. I mean, the other day I had a conversation with some friends. We talked about whether we could survive living somewhere else uh, after this. Um, So many service um, businesses got developed because of this special period of time. For example, I was in Hainan in a hotel uh, and uh, suddenly one day I I decided I wanted to to try boogie boarding. And uh, (laughs) you were in Hainan, I just logged down internet and uh, uh, selected to do uh, two boards, you know, one imported, one local made, and then both of them arrived the next day. So I could just surf like this. And I ordered a lot of uh, different toys, you know, for the holiday, the delivery, next day delivery. Uh, This sort of uh, service and speed in China is quite unique, I think, compared to everywhere else. You know, you pretty much can stay in your living room, you order everything and delivery is so fast. I feel that they, they can see that even being where they are, they can have access to a lot of things. So when they start to travel one day overseas, hopefully soon, we all hope, that I, I feel they, 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 they expect to see different products, you know, when they go everywhere else. You know, why they, they, they go to the same brand shop, you know, in Paris, in Milan, in London, when they actually have everything here. Uh, that's something that um, probably is going to to happen. And also, you know, don't forget that Chinese consumers have now um, come around to accepting the price in China. I know that they're all adjusting prices up, down, you know, <laughs> different ways, but uh, they are comfortable with spending in China according to the, the prices here now. That psychological barrier is already overcome. They also come around to uh, trusting the, the whole logistics uh, system here, that uh, delivery system, and, and uh, just get more used to shopping online. So I think when they go traveling, they expect to see something different. That is a challenge for all the brands that, you know, you, you have shops around the world and you need to justify why we need so many shops around the world when people start to travel again. This is a period of quite intensive uh, consumption for the Chinese in China. And in some way, combined with their experience in the past few years, a booming few years in the past few years, and uh, I think that a lot of the Chinese luxury consumers have become more sophisticated already. More and more, they are into seeking some more exclusive products, uh, limited editions, uh, things that, uh, you know, they they don't see on everybody now anymore. So that's something more challenging for the brands because the last 10 uh, years, for 
the big brands in the luxury industry. You know, their story was expansion into every corner of the world, you know, every city in China. The fastest growing phase, I think, is almost coming to a I wouldn't say a stop, you know, uh, uh, sort of slowing down a little bit. The fastest growing period is over and we'll come to a period of probably not that uh, uh, speedy uh, development. And because for a lot of brands, they are already in all the cities, (laughs) the major cities in China. And they have a, you know, even in every city in Beijing or Shanghai, you see shops in different parts of the one city. Um, uh, Because of that, uh, the physical expansion has come to a period that's not the high point now. I guess that the next story would be, you know, for the same shops or or e-commerce websites to offer more variety of choices so that uh, customers, consumers would have more incentive to try new things. You know, looking back, Angelica, you talked about, you know, 15, 20 years ago, the luxury industry was only just starting to understand the opportunity in the Chinese market. They were just starting to enter. I think, you know, Louis Vuitton was amongst the first brands to really enter the market. What do you think are the biggest changes in the way the Chinese customer's mindset and attitude is towards this industry? Like, how has it you said they've become more sophisticated. Can you talk a little bit about that in more detail? For one, the obvious change is uh, the shift from logo to no logo and now the new generation logo again, uh, but in a very different way. You know, the, the earlier 15 years ago, the logo was really for very few people who became more successful or affluent to show that we were successful and affluent. It, they were really symbols of status at that time. And then, you know, when they got a few and they started to feel the sophisticated ones started to know that, oh, logo not good. You know, they are for the, <laughs> the new money people. And we are already a few years into experiencing fashion and luxury products. So I need to show that I'm more sophisticated. And and also partially because they, they, they have experienced more and they, they started to form a bit of their own point of view uh, with what they liked and what they didn't. And then fast forward, the, the new logo period is really the Gen Z, the millennials generation. Uh, they, they grew up not knowing that logo even 10 years ago, used to represent a status symbol. So to them, they just thought they were cool. You know, these symbols, cool and um, uh, fun. So now they are starting, uh, you know, to wear these logos uh, and totally uh, because of uh, a different kind of understanding and culture altogether. So I feel in some way this says a lot about the change of Chinese consumers, the kind of confidence they've acquired already, that already they, they don't feel, the younger generation especially, they don't feel I'm wearing logo, you know, would that be considered a, a new money person? They don't feel uh, whether these people will think I'm rich and famous or successful. They just feel they, they love it because they feel it's cool. You know, they identify with these products. So, um, this is a big change, I guess, you know, over the 15 years uh, period of time. And 
you pretty much three generations of consumers in China. This is the, just a young generation. And also um, for the slightly more mature generation, you know, who started 15 years ago, and uh, I guess they're really consuming more for upgraded quality of life. Well, you know, they worked really hard. They were creative. They were entrepreneurial. A lot of these people now come to a stage in their life where they're very secure financially and uh, they've achieved certain level of success in what they do in their career. And kids have, you know, gone probably in university already. So this generation, they're really focused on upgrading quality of life in every detail. You know, what they eat, what they drink, what they see, and and everything. It's not just uh, uh, restricted to, confined to, uh, to fashion, to clothes. And these people have moved on from consumption of fashion, you know, to a more broader lifestyle area. So incoming are the younger generation because the culture... Uh, you know, of dressing to show your personality, to show who you are, has shifted. So the wardrobes collected by their parents are no longer the wardrobe the younger generation want to inherit. So that's why they create their own uh, own new wardrobe. But for the older generation, rather than, or rather more mature generation, I think they moved on to a broader lifestyle upgrade. You know, a lot of people, you know, into watch and jewelry, their house upgrade and decoration of their living environment. They start to look at every single detail of their life more. You know, you just now mentioned what the younger generations are looking for in fashion. And I've been talking to a lot of our guests about the purpose of fashion, in a way, the role that fashion plays in our culture in our society, in business. When, when you think about kind of the purpose of fashion, like why, do pe- why are people in China, for example, young people in China, why do they get drawn to fashion? What is it about it that they're drawn to? I think the young people in China on one uh, level, they're not that different from young people everywhere else in the world. You know, they, they love new things. They want to feel they belong to certain cultural trends. This is a generation that probably were born into this digital social media era. And they, they, they know everything, you know, on the internet, they, they see everything. Whatever is happening everywhere else in the world, in New York, in London, in Paris, they are aware of it and they pop their own mind. And these people communicate on, online so much. So they, they form this sort of little group where people, you know, because the like-minded people, not just uh, your, your, your classmates sitting next to you uh, in school, but it can be people anywhere and they feel closer and they have certain uh, things in common. And I think they're driven by that feeling of belonging to a certain group of people, whether it is around certain style of fashion or certain brands, certain designer, or, or even certain celebrities, certain idols, all these elements that, uh, that make them feel they belong to certain community. And this generation, a lot of them are a single child of a family, you know, and even though online they're very active, but at home they're just a young person with a pair of parents uh, at what, very 
busy traveling, working, and then two pairs of grandparents who just couldn't do more to to make their grandchild happier. And, uh, you know, in this regard, is different from everywhere else in the world. And they, they grew up believing they can't have everything. You know, they can't try everything because this is what the adults, you know, around the family uh, the message they're trying to tell them, you know, you want to study, we give you all the education opportunities. If you want to try sports, yes, we will help you to do that. If, yeah, when they want to experience fashion and uh, your new culture, uh, opportunities are very uh, much available. So in that regard, it's very, very different. It's the first generation uh, that never understood a sort of Uh, value for money, that concept. You know, they never needed to worry about paying for their education or having somewhere to live in. Uh, Imagine, you know, their parents, uh, well-to-do, they leave their properties and then two pairs of grandparents having their properties, houses. So, you know, if you're a young person in a quite uh, middle-class family, you just don't have that sense of worry. How are you going to do to make a living to support yourself financially? So, so consumption has become content, important parts of uh, content in their lives already. It's a communication tool with their peers already. So when you put on a T-shirt, you feel, you uh, know, your other mate also puts on a T-shirt, you feel certain connection in a world that looks big, and looks like very active online, but when you come home, you're just one one young man, um, you know, with a lot of adults. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. 
They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The Chinese customer has become so important to the luxury industry, you know, in terms of driving revenue, in terms of growth, all of those things that you and I have discussed many times over the years. Do you think they feel genuinely welcomed and kind of considered by the industry. You know, so there's sometimes I, I get the sense that people talk about Chinese customers, they talk about them with dollar signs in their eyes, but they don't necessarily have a full understanding of the culture. And, you know, how do you see that? Well, I think it's very natural. As I say, is the whole industry only started to gradually take off 15 years ago, you know, when it's only natural that, you know, people needs a little bit of time to become more discerning uh, customers. In the Western world, it, it took decades, you know, for people to, to, to be so knowledgeable about fashion. And in China, it only took 15 years. And I, I don't think it, it was that uh, a big um, difference, you know, between people. And then you, you have to learn from somewhere. You, you learn from looking at products and designs and you know, and then trying them on and gradually you form your own opinion. So over the past 15 years, that thought from the Western world, uh, especially in the fashion industry, to think that the Chinese were purely consumers, but not sophisticated enough to appreciate fashion or the message behind fashion uh, sort of was understandable. But the, the change in Chinese consumer sophistication level has not, I think, provided an answer to that, is that nobody was born to know everything. And obviously you learn from experience, and uh, which is what happened with the Chinese consumers. And uh, up to today, I feel another sign of that sophistication and confidence comes from the fact that more Chinese consumers, even with the consumption ability, they are more open to purchasing Chinese products, Chinese brands, Chinese independent uh, designers' uh, uh, creations. Uh, So I think that's a sign of confidence in your own judgment and your own taste. Uh, So I doubt, you know, I don't think we actively think, you know, sitting here to think, are we being embraced, included or not? And the fact that, you know, we are part of this consumption um, cycle and the fact that especially more and more brands uh, try to uh, decipher what the Chinese consumers want uh, shows that we are a very important force in this whole uh, fashion industry. You know, 15 years ago, even five years ago, actually, I tell this a lot, that uh, international brands would not... um, led the Chinese teams to make any decisions. 
you know, everything, down to even when they want to do a Weibo post. The Chinese team had to translate everything into English, send to the headquarters, headquarters reviewed it, make some corrections, send it back to China. They modified it, translated to English, send it back. So many, many backs and forths and before one post could be um, placed. And also I remember I spent years trying to persuade Uh, the international brands to listen to their Chinese team more and adapt a lot of their promotional, even product strategies to to suit the Chinese culture and and, uh, consumer behaviors. And one big example, up till five years ago, maybe, all the international brands have this sort of philosophy that we do not appoint Chinese brand ambassadors you know, no spokespeople. Always that if they like us, they love the brand, they buy the products. You know, we don't need to do that. Maybe some people have one Hollywood star to be an ambassador. They feel that'll be enough to represent the brand across different markets. And then something happened a few years ago when Chinese consumption really started to take off and become increasingly important. And then you saw I was part of that, uh, that whole process, you know, started to see, you know, brands starting to appoint Chinese uh, celebrities, ambassadors. And then today you see one brand can have so many ambassadors, you know, one ambassador in every tiny little category. I mean, if you look at that kind of change from no Chinese spokesperson to maybe 10, 20 of them, you know, for different categories, you cannot say that the Chinese consumers do not hold an important place in um, having a say about the fashion industry, you know, and the product development and promotional strategies of these international brands. So uh, I do not feel that that is the case, that uh, we were not included, uh, certainly. What's the biggest threat for these big luxury businesses in China? If you were one of the big gun CEOs sitting in Paris, what would you be worried about? Or what would you advise them to, to watch carefully in order for them to continue to build and grow their relationships with Chinese customers? I think there is a shift in the mood among the Chinese consumers, you know, people. I think after the pandemic, the whole experience of fearing the worst would happen to finding a new life out of it, the experience. I think, and eventually the pandemic situation got quickly controlled and business started to boom again. And a lot of local Chinese brands and businesses started to, to really prosper and boom. And this whole experience, I think, gave a Chinese, whether you are a brand owner, you, know, you are the creator or you are a consumer, a huge boost of confidence. I think that people still continue to consume international brands, you know, when they love it, they, you know, the brands that speak to them. But I feel that that's a period of change quite significantly, that the Chinese consumers started to be very willing to embrace Chinese creations now. So, um, you know, of course, after 10, 20 years of development, a lot of Chinese brands are becoming more sophisticated too. You know, they've upgraded the quality of their products, certainly the Chinese uh, supply chain 
has become increasingly successful and sophisticated. They also in tune with social media everywhere. They can see the style and trends and creations from everywhere else around the world. And all these, what they see, inspire them when they come back to creativity in China. So that combination of inspiration from around the world, the youthful energy from this new generation of Chinese millennials, and the more sophisticated supply chain, and the more developed retail channels in China are all coming together now to form what I would describe as a new phase of Chinese own fashion and luxury industry. And with the development of digital e-commerce in China, I feel that probably those brands would also stand to become more influential and would form some competition in a growing level of competition to these international brands. So this whole mood has shifted quite significantly. But I, I feel that it's probably what international brands would be wary of. It's just, you know, while you still try to promote your brand, try to promote your products, maybe you should keep an eye on the creativity that comes out of China itself and to understand the mood better. Over the course of the pandemic, the other topic that came quite front of mind for people all around the world was around sustainability. You know, we're seeing evidence of global warming, you know, even now here in Europe with floods and there's fires in Australia and there's fires in North America and, you know, heat waves. What place does sustainability have in the mindset of the Chinese customer? I would say that over the last year or two, people's level of understanding, appreciation of sustainability and protection of the environment has advanced quite significantly. I think especially with the newer, younger generation, you know, because in school they start to teach this concept now. It's like my daughter, you know, in her school, they discuss all these damages about, you know, the environment. She would come home talking about what you should do, you shouldn't do. So already with the education touching upon those issues, I I feel that there is a shift. And also the governments are doing something, you know, they they started to put pressure on, you know, business entities to comply with a lot of uh, the new rules and regulations. Yes, it was slightly slow in the beginning because the last 10, 15 years was really about Chinese becoming more affluent and they wanted to embrace consumption, really. Wanted to upgrade their quality of life. So new wardrobe, new houses, new cars, new furniture and traveling to see the world was more about that. I think that period has come to a certain stage where they already have that. I think they can afford to think about issues that are bigger than that, that is more about our environment. They realize that the quality of life depends on our environment. You know, you whatever you own physically, your air is not clean, you lose these greeneries and uh, it's not good quality of life. So I I feel that it is growing. Whether is it fast enough? I don't know. I I guess we all ask this question around the world. Whatever we are doing, 
to promote sustainability, green and you know, protection of the world, protection of our sea, the ocean. Is it going to be enough? That's a big issue we are all thinking about. I guess it's never enough, probably it's not. That's why we need to work harder to get people to be more conscious of it and to actually do something about it. So we did this sustainability index this year to kind of look at the activities of all the big fashion brands, publicly traded companies. And Karen came out for us on top. You know, it came 49 out of 100. There's still a lot of work for Karen to do. The average score was 36 out of 100. But do you think the customer over there actually recognizes and understands the brands that are that are doing more in terms of creating a more sustainable luxury industry? I feel that... Ultimately, we need to address this overconsumption issue from a more in-depth perspective. I feel that a lot of the time people overconsume, you know, they buy a t-shirt, wear it once and throw it away because they can't afford it, yes. But I feel that because there's slightly a lacking in their content in their life, you know, I think it's a form of satisfaction when you do your shopping, you feel a bit empty maybe within and you feel shopping can temporarily ease that anxiety or that sense of lack of purpose or something in a void or generally. So I know a lot of people, when they are upset, they say, no, I'm going shopping. You know, you go shopping. These days you go online, you know, you go online, you buy a few things, you feel happier. I feel ultimately maybe all of us, you know, we we should maybe really think more in terms of what really makes one happy. That's another level of soul searching and Because if you feel that only by just buying new things, that's the source of satisfaction, then whatever, you know, the brands do, you know, obviously you do a lot on the technical level, you know, you get new technology and all those, you know, new materials, whatever. But at the end of the day, they only solve one element of the issue. And I I really do feel that people probably need to find some real meaning in life, you know, what makes you really happy with yourself, what makes you really feel that life is worth living. You know, I'm of value to the world. And ultimately that makes you probably happier than having another shirt or a dress. And that sense of uh, satisfaction can go very, very quickly. Even though one might argue that if everybody feels that way, that they can find meaning in other areas than purchasing fashion luxury items that would not be good for the industry. I doubt that. I think every, uh, you know, the world is, is wrong. You know, one thing links to another. So if you just see that, oh, they don't buy as much, maybe that's bad for the business. But I think society and world has a way of working things out. Uh, ultimately, you know, if they don't spend time buying dresses, they, they might spend time doing something else that's of value. And then that value would indicate business entity to invest in some other areas to develop more services or products. So um, I feel that unless we address this ultimate reason for overconsumption, we are only addressing some technical elements of the issue. Because as human race, we're trying to save ourselves. And really, we need to ask ourselves, 
ultimately what's the most important thing in life. If we all think that way, we become more responsible people for both the world and society and for yourself, I think more likely you are going to make the right choices when it comes to these bigger picture issues. You know, one of the areas that's really developing quite quickly on this side of the world is the resale market in in fashion. We've just published this big report at BOF earlier this week. The market is growing so fast. I'm curious is this one of the ways you think luxury consumption could also evolve in China? Certainly here in the West, everyone is thinking that this is part of the circular economy. We're advocating for products that last longer. We're advocating for people not to throw things away, but to, to pass them on to someone else. Does that resonate in the Chinese context? Yeah, it does. You know, in China, there's a host of secondhand or what you call resale operators in in China, you know, there's obviously there's a demand from both sides. You know, there's a demand from purchasing side and selling side. And uh, very often uh, one person can play roles of both. So there there is a whole load of them already. In fact, I'm looking at some of these projects uh, myself as uh, at Sequoia and uh, we're investigating into in this category too. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. But of course, you know, as a business, then it's got its complications. But if you're talking about on the consumer level, you know, are are people more open to it? Yes, I think they are a lot more open to it. Okay, my last question for you, which I've asked everybody that I've spoken to, I was really taken with a piece of writing by this Indian author named Arundhati Roy, which Uh, She published something early in the pandemic and she described the pandemic. She said, historically, pandemics have been like a portal and you can like go through this portal and you can take all of your baggage with you and you're heavy on the other side. Or you can go through this portal and you can leave baggage behind and enter the world anew with a change. Back to this idea of soul searching. I wonder if you were thinking about the fashion industry before the pandemic and after the pandemic, what do you think needs to change about the way fashion was before and the way fashion is now? (laughs) It's very difficult. Uh, We were discussing so many things that, for example, what, for example, I mean, what's your view of the change? For me, it's about this idea of less is more. You know, and you've already seen a lot of the fashion brands, instead of doing, you know, 10 collections a year, they're doing five. Instead of doing a collection with a thousand SKUs, they're doing a collection with 300 SKUs. You know, instead of doing six physical fashion shows a year, they're maybe only going to do a couple. The industry seems to be recalibrating around this idea of quality and less quantity and doing things with more value. Is that something that resonates for you? Yes, I feel that there are so many things to, you know, it's the one thing to change is that fashion and so-called luxury, you know, now the definition of luxury industry, I think is different from 15 years ago or even 10 years ago. So depending on your definition, I feel uh, fashion and luxury business has changed a lot now. And to a lot of consumers, the definition of it changed a lot. It's no longer that distant. You know, luxury business used to be 
represents something that you really have to work very, very hard and you get one and you treasure this forever. Now it's more like, well, a, a business definition, you know, sort of brands thing because we are expensive, we belong to the luxury sector. So there's a lot of debate necessary, you know, to redefine what is luxury now, today. I feel that from the consumer side, there's no shortage of supply of brands, designers, products. I think the incentive to own this is a lot weaker now. So what's got to change is that by purely turning out volumes of brands and and products uh, is not going to be enough to sustain the business or the growth anymore very soon. Because every year you see the fashion schools, you know, a lot of new graduates and a big proportion of that start their own labels because it's easy to start your own label now. You know, there's the supply chain uh, very developed around the world and there's social media D2C channels everywhere. So it's actually very easy to do to, to, to your own brand. You know, how big you can do, we don't know. But it's easy to have brands. So all these small individual brands come together uh, will form a force. So with this population, you know, how much supply is the right supply, the balance between demand and supply? So that's something to consider. I feel purely... You know, because people now, consumers have gone over, even in China, gone over that period where they are starving for a piece of fashion and and luxury, I think it takes more to persuade them to really become a fan and a supporter. In that sense, I want to go back to what I said about sustainability ultimately, how to solve that problem uh, lies in the fact that people find more meaning in their lives. So I feel the same with the fashion industry players. The companies need to really find some purpose in their companies' lives, business lives. You know, instead of doing a lot that probably what they feel they have to do it and really find some meaning. And I think externally, yes, there's an image about, you know, caring for society. But internally, if you do find some meaning for persuade, you know, in your business entity, you probably get more togetherness. Your staff, employees would find it more exciting and meaningful to be part of this whole uh, enterprise. So I just feel that because a lot of people are a little bit jaded now, after the pandemic, you know, they still do the work, but they start to doubt what they are doing. And uh, the rare, the few enterprises and companies who can really inspire, not just society generally, but internally, you know, their employees to feel that we are part of the a journey that's not just to sell more products, but really addressing something about the world which I identify with. I think you will find new energy from within and new inspiration probably lead to some new prospect and new ideas commercially. So that's why I say things will always come around. It's so great that you've just said that because this whole series, the narrative that I've I've been 
kind of using is that it's an industry in search of profit and purpose. And I think finding that balance between the, the two things is going to be, you know, really, really interesting in the coming in the coming years. I think, you know, especially the leaders of big, uh, you know, brands and companies, you know, I, I think maybe they themselves need to stop and think, you know, you own such a big business, you own so much fortune and wealth already. Uh, what's the meaning of life to you too? Your existence to the world. At some stage, everything will stop anyway. So what's your legacy after all that achievement? What's the real legacy? I guess even for the more successful people, um, I think it's more relevant in some way because you are in a position to make your life more meaningful. You know, we have some individuals who've done really well, you know, sort of inspiring to people that they moved on to do uh, greater things uh, for the world, for the planet. I guess you don't have to drop everything just to start every something new. But if the leaders of these big groups really honestly want to do something that you really feel passionate about, I think people can feel it and people can see it. But if you are doing some token decoration work just to, to say we are doing the right thing, then people can feel that too. So if you say, what my advice to the industry, I feel maybe I should just say, be authentic to yourself before you being believed to be authentic by society and customers and the industry. I'm really grateful for your time today and um, hope to see you very soon. Yes, my pleasure. Yes, next time we chat, we'll do it face to face. I hope so, I hope so. What we wear says a lot about who we are. Yet fashion is also a $2.5 trillion global industry that touches everyone on Earth. I'm Imran Ahmed. I first started trying to make sense of the business of fashion 15 years ago, as it was being transformed by technology, globalization, and shifting consumer values. Now I'm on a journey to see how fashion is recalibrating after the pandemic to balance profit with purpose. This is the Business of Fashion Show, Join me to discover how fashion shapes business, culture, and identity, and to meet the people forging fashion's future. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 